Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Creator as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 19. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Nature does reveal God to man. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows His handiwork. And day unto day they utter their speech. Night unto night their voice goeth forth, and there is not a speech nor a language where their voice is not heard. But there is an illogical way of observing nature, and there is a logical way of observing nature. There is a logical way of looking at a tree, admiring the blossoms, enjoying the beauty, admiring the capacities of reproduction that are there in the tree, the seed that develops, that falls into the ground, the new tree that forms, the way the seeds are propagated by little fins of propellers or by hooks or whatever as as a tree is capable of propagating itself. And to look at all of these processes and say, oh my, that's God. No, no, that isn't God. That tree isn't God. That's stupid. The logical way to look at the tree is to see it, to admire it, to enjoy its beauties, and to say, that is a part of God's handiwork. That's a creation of God. And to worship the God who created the tree rather than to worship the tree. But many people get hung up at the tree and they never get beyond the tree. And so Paul says, who worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And this is a common mistake that men often make. They get bound up in the creation and they worship the creation rather than the Creator. But the creation was always intended to point us to the Creator. But men get hung up here on the material level, and they worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. And, and yet God says, hey, they don't, they don't have any understanding. <laughs> Part of this tree I warmed myself with in the fireplace. Part of it I roasted my meat. Part of it I baked my bread. And the rest of it, I'm falling down and worshiping and saying, you're my God, deliver me. Oh, shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? (laughs) He feeds on the ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Now remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all, that stretched forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars and makes the diviners mad, 
that turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish. All you have to do is read the scientific textbooks of the first of this, um, <laughs> scientific textbooks of, of 1890. <laughs> and the knowledge of men in those days, and, and you read it today, did you know that when bathtubs were first in, introduced in the United States that they were outlawed by many of the cities? And, and doctors were predicting all kinds of dire consequences if a person bathed every day. And, and because of the tremendous danger, the health hazard that bathtubs posed, many cities and, and all outlawed bathtubs in the beginning because the doctors were warning of the dangers of, of taking baths too often. <laughs> Oh, yes. As Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. Anytime a man leaves God out of his life or out of his consideration, that man has become a fool. The Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I am the God who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish, the knowledge of man that confirmeth the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers, that saith of Cyrus, and I am the Lord, I am the one, and now he is naming a man 150 years before this man is born. So now God gets really specific. He says that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue the nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings. You remember I told you it prophesied that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's knees would be smiting together. His loins were loose, the Bible says, and his knees smote one against another. And God here predicted, I'm going to loose the loins of the kings that happen to be Belshazzar. To open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Now, in the city of Babylon, which, of course, was considered to be impregnable against its enemies, had walls 300 feet high, 80 feet thick, that encircled the city, 15 miles square. The outer wall, the moats, the river Euphrates flowing through the midst of the city, the big wide thoroughfares going from one end of the city to the other, blocking it off into the 15 major square mile areas. And where the walls, where the river Euphrates flowed through, they built walls along the upper bank of the river Euphrates. And they had at these 15 major intersections where these roads cross the river Euphrates, they had built these bridges across the river Euphrates, and they had these great gates in the wall that they would open for the concourse of the people through the streets of Babylon. 
but at night the gates would be shut and barred. Now, when Cyrus came with the Medo-Persian army and began his siege of Babylon, Belshazzar felt so secure within the city that in more or less defiance against Cyrus and the Medo-Persian army, he ordered this great feast where for months they were feasting, drinking, partying, because they felt, felt so secure within this great fortress of the city of Babylon. Now Cyrus, in studying the situation, realized that there was no way that they could assault the walls 300 feet high. No way could these walls be assaulted. So he devised upon a scheme of building diversion channels for the river Euphrates. And they went upriver to divert the channels, or divert the river Euphrates into these channels. And then on this particular night, which so happened to be the night that Belshazzar ordered the golden vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. On this night, they turned the river Euphrates into the channels, and the soldiers came through on the banks of the river, under the wall. But then they had the problem of these great gates and the wall that was there along the river Euphrates. But for some reason, probably because the soldiers were so drunk from the parties, they had not locked the gates to these walls that night. And so the troops of Cyrus were able to come through these gates that were opened and were able, of course, to conquer the city of Babylon that evening. Now, again, notice what God said concerning Cyrus. I will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the two levy gates, and the gates shall not be shut. That was 200 years, or not quite, 180 years, or 190 years before the event took place. God speaks of it naming Cyrus as the king that would be involved, calling him by his name. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass. I will cut in sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of the secret places. Of course, he gained the tremendous wealth of the Babylonian empire that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name. Now God's bragging a little bit. I've called you by your name. And the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though you have not known me. Interesting indeed that God names the king who will give the decree for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem after their Babylonian captivity. God calls him my shepherd. And you're the one that is going to release my people from their captivity. I have subdued the nations before you. 
I will open the gates, the levy gates and so forth. And, and God, God calls him by name and gives out the deed. That's why God said, hey, if you're God's, tell us something before it happens so that when it happens, we really know it, that you may know that I am God. There's none like me. I am the Lord. I frustrate the tokens and so forth. I confirm the word and I say of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and will perform my pleasure. No way, no way could this be written except by divine inspiration of God. No way Isaiah could know this. No way Isaiah could call the guy by his name. Except God who dwells outside of our time domain, looking into the time domain, speaks to a man within the time domain because he knows outside of the time domain the things that are going to be, he is able to tell him what is going to be the names of the people and the events and how they're going to transpire. And so we have here a message from an extraterrestrial source that is outside of our time domain. God speaking to man, the eternal God, declaring things before they happen that we might know that he is God when we see them happen. Marvelous prophecy. And, of course, the Bible critics when they get against something like this, they just say, well, there were two Isaiahs and this one was written after the event. Quite obvious. <laughs> I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west and the that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light. I create darkness. I make peace. I create evil. Now, this verse has caused a lot of problems to people where God said, I create evil. And the problem is caused probably in the translation of the, Greek, of the Hebrew word raw, which word in Hebrew means sorrow or wretchedness or adversity or calamities or afflictions. Now, it was unfortunately translated evil, but we know that God did not create evil, but he did create the calamities and the afflictions that would come upon those who did evil. So it's just an unfortunate translation. The Hebrew word is raw, which means sorrow or wretchedness or calamity or adversity or affliction. It has never been translated sin. I, the Lord, do all of these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. Let the righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him who strives with his maker. Now God has told us all that he's done, all that he is. And then he says, hey, whoa. Isaiah says, woe unto the man who strives with his maker. Man, to strive with God has to be the height of folly. Woe unto the man who is striving with God. And yet how many people do strive with God? They fight with God. They run against God. They try to run away from God. Woe unto him who strives with his maker. Why would a man strive with God? Because he has the wrong concept of God. 
That's the only reason I can conceive a man striving with God, because he has the wrong concept of God. If you had a true concept of God, you wouldn't want to strive with him because you know that what God has for your life is the very best that could ever happen to you. Why fight it? God said, my purposes towards thee are good, not evil. Why fight it? But woe unto him who is fighting them with God because he's fighting against his own good. And there are people who do strive with God. But if they win, then they've really lost. God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. But people strive against the spirit of God and the work of God's spirit in their hearts, in the rejecting and the refusing of Jesus Christ. Woe unto that man who strives with his maker. The woe of God's judgment will come upon the man who wins in that strife. If you refuse God, if you refuse to submit your life to God, oh, what judgment and woe is destined upon your life. But how foolish it is to fight with God. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, hey, what are you making? Or to thy work, he has no hands. <laughs> Here's a bit of clay on the table, and it's spinning. The potter's getting ready to shape it, and so he begins to mold it, and the clay begins to move. It's, hey, what are you making out of me? You see, the clay has no power over its own destiny. It's in the hand of the potter what the clay is to be. And in the same token, we really have no power over our destiny. Our lives are as clay in the hand of God. He has a capacity to form of us whatever he wants. But woe unto the man who strives with his maker, who begins to challenge the work of God in his life. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. Why are you doing that? You see, God has a purpose and a plan for you that you can only discover by yielding to God. The potter has in his mind that which he wants this bit of clay to become. The clay of itself is pretty worthless. It's so common. One of the most common elements in the earth today, clay. But the clay has the capacity for infinite value according to the ability of the potter. Now, if the potter is capable, he can take a worthless bit of clay and make it into something of great worth and great value. Now, who can deny the ability of God, the master potter, to take our lives, which are so common, and yet to make something uncommon of us, something of great value and worth, as he makes me a vessel that he might use for his purpose. So God has in mind that which he wants my life to be. I can only discover what God has in his mind by yielding my life to God. But he shows the folly of the, of the clay objecting to the potter or trying to direct the potter. 
Woe unto him that saith to his father, What have you begotten? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker. Ask me of things to come. Concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. For I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, talking of Cyrus. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for a price or for a reward, saith the Lord of hosts. He's going to do it. Not for a price, not for a reward, not through bribery. But I've raised him up for that purpose. God formed him for that purpose. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, Simply order Isaiah 44 through 45 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and watch over and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. May you be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner man. And may you comprehend more and more what is the length and the depth and the height and the breadth of God's great love for you. May you be filled with that love. May you overflow with that love as you reach out to those around you who are less fortunate to help, to strengthen, to supply. God be with you, and may he use you as his instrument to show his love to this needy world. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today has published a New Testament designed for an unbeliever or a new believer, just as much as it is for a Bible teacher. Highlights include Pastor Chuck's commentaries that get right to the point on Scripture passages, words of Christ in red for easy reading, an A through Z topical Scripture index covering over 250 topics relevant to life application, and a section that answers frequently asked questions such as, is there evidence of Christ's resurrection? 
and what's God's will for my life. So if you're looking for a Bible to give to a friend, or if you're a ministry that's been searching for a simple New Testament that does most of the teaching for you, then you'll enjoy the Word for Today New Testament with Pastor Chuck's commentary notes. To order, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org. 